On this episode, we'll provide an overview of the field of cardiac electrophysiology and the treatment of atrial fibrillation. In our discussion, we'll introduce an attractive new technology that could be a major advance in atrial fibrillation treatment. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tomas Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient. And on this episode, we'll welcome a leading expert in the field of cardiac electrophysiology, Dr. Thomas Munger. Dr. Munger, welcome to Modern Practice. Thank you so much, Thomas, today. I'm very glad to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at your location. Sure. So I graduated the University of Vermont back in the 1980s, came to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota in the mid-80s for training, and came on the staff now 31 years ago. I'm outgoing chair of the Division of Heart Rhythm here at Mayo Rochester. Very impressive. So let's talk about the field of electrophysiology. Can you describe it for us? Sure. So it goes back probably hundreds of years when people first started noting that the heart actually had motion. And when they started measuring electrical currents back in the 1800s, it was noted that the heart was an electrical organ. Those currents were characterized by Hodgkin and Huxley back in the 1940s. And then the first really mapping at the time of surgery uh, was done in the 1960s. And then finally, intracardiac measurements of the electrical currents of the heart with a catheter were done in the 1970s. And since then, it's been all go, go, go as we've brought more and more technology to bear on solving arrhythmia problems for people. Absolutely. Actually, some of my greatest friends in the field when I was a hospitalist were electrophysiologists. So obviously there's a lot of training involved in becoming an electrophysiologist. Can you tell the listeners about that? Sure. And my wife will tell you about it too, because she wondered about it at the time when we were going through training. So an electrophysiologist is a cardiologist, is an internist. So we first receive our training in internal medicine after graduation from medical school. That's three years. Then another three years in a cardiovascular fellowship program. And then typically another two in most programs now for getting the EP certificate. So that's eight years. Sometimes it's longer depending on the research pathway people take during that uh, training period. So I'd like to elaborate more on a comment you made that the heart is an electrical organ. It's always fascinating me since medical school, but can you just briefly describe to our listeners or non-clinicians about how much of an electrical system is involved in the heart and the different components? Sure, sure. Of course, the heart is, I think, the only organ that actually moves constantly throughout our lifetimes. That's driven by currents in the muscle cells, much like in your brain or the skeletal muscle. They're driven by bilayer membranes that create ion currents, potassium, calcium, and sodium being the main ones. And as those ions move back and forth across those bilipid membranes, they create currents. And we call that the action potential when you look at a single cell. Typical cell is depolarized to minus 90 millivolts. It then gets depolarized back to neutral with movement of sodium into the cell. And then potassium and calcium return the cell back to the next beat that it's going to have. And those cells communicate with each other through gap junctions, which are also electrical currents that passively pass from one cell to the next cell. So all those cells move through the body or through the heart in a very organized fashion through the conduction system and produce then the mechanical movement of the heart. The ions, again, are important for creating those resting membrane potentials and then the changes that produce the electrical currents that then cause contraction. 
When I speak to my patients trying to help them understand what an arrhythmia is, I tell them that the heart is having a dance. There's a rhythm involved with that dance. But when the rhythm is no longer having a beat that's normal or that rhythmicity is gone, that's what an arrhythmia is all about. Would you say I'm pretty close to it or how would you describe it? No, I think absolutely right. I describe it as a seizure of the heart, at least the fast ones. I mean, you can have slow heart rhythms, bradycardias, rates under 40, and you can have tachycardias, rates above 120 or higher that are not coming from the normal system. And you're right, the rhythms can be either from focuses, so single cells that are actually triggering off and creating a single focus that then is depolarizing the heart from an abnormal area, or you can have reentry, which usually involves kind of circular motion around either a fixed obstacle like a scar or a valve, or it can be a functional reentry where, again, because of the different ways conduction moves through the heart in different directions, we call that an isotropy, that can set up conditions for reentry also. So kind of like the cat tries to catch its tail, but never quite is able to, and that reentry continues on and on. So what kind of procedures do electrophysiologists perform? Well, again, back when I started in the field, it was purely a diagnostic discipline. We helped the surgeons with mapping ventricular and atrial arrhythmias for surgical resection of abnormal tissue. But pretty much it was a diagnostic field where we put catheters into the heart and diagnosed various different types of rhythms. Now, that was in the late 1980s. At that time, there had been catheter ablation introduced into the field in 1981, so-called direct current or DC ablation. It was used pretty much exclusively for patients who needed AV nodal ablation, which is a treatment that's used for treating fast atrial fib that can't be managed with rate drugs. That particular ablation was difficult to control. Again, it used an electrical current at very high voltage. We would hook the catheters up to a life pack, a defibrillator, and basically defibrillate between two catheters or even a single catheter to create a very high temperature but relatively uncontrolled lesion at the AV node. As such, it wasn't really used for ablation of other targets because of the pressure trauma it could cause and the risk of perforation. Since then, of course, we've moved into multiple other areas. So ablation now is done for all different types of arrhythmias, atrial fib, atrial tac, atrial flutter, other types of ventricular arrhythmias, PVCs, both focal and reentrant ventricular tachycardias. And it's done from the inside of the heart mostly, but there's also epicardial procedures that have been developed where you can treat and destroy tissue on the outside of the heart to relieve an arrhythmia problem. Those are kind of the fast rhythms. The slow ones chiefly are still treated with devices. Pacemakers were introduced in the 1950s. The surgeons started implanting the implantable defibrillator in the mid-1980s, and that quickly moved to the purview of the electrophysiologist in the early 1990s. So both pacemakers for bradycardias, pacemakers for heart failure, and defibrillators for prophylaxis or secondary treatment of ventricular fibrillation arrhythmias have been the mainstay of electrophysiologist activity as well. And I find it all fascinating. You've mentioned ablation a few times. So can you provide us an overview of cardiac ablation? And if I understand it right, there are several times. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I talked about the arrhythmias that have been approached for this. And let me take a step backwards. When we were first doing ablation, I mentioned AV node ablation. We moved over in the late 1980s to start using radiofrequency ablation and also alcohol ablation. There was a brief time where we were doing that. But RF, or burning the tissue, was introduced in the late 1980s. 80s, and that was a much more controllable energy source. So we could then actually start treating some of these other rhythms like AV nodal reentry, SVT, or WPW, SVT, ATAX, VTAX, some of them, again, inside the heart next to valves, some of them on the outside of the heart. So back in 30 years ago, most of it was SVT work. Now, most of it, at least in a tertiary center like I work at, is ventricular arrhythmias and atrial fib. And atrial fib remains, I think, the mainstay of treatment in both the community setting and the academic setting. It really is probably the lion's share. At least half of all the ablations done each year are for that rhythm just because it's so common. Dr. Munger, great discussion, and we'll continue in our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Dr. Munger at his email address in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at visioninc.com. We also posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tomas Villanueva. Thanks for listening. 